Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Dr. Rachel Kent is a lecturer and researcher at King's College whose PhD and ongoing research examines how digital tech influences our mental and physical health. With a particular focus on digital behaviours in lockdowns one to three, and hopefully that's the last of them, and the use of health tracking apps, for which I must say I use plenty of, she's here to illuminate us on the impact that focusing on being very healthy might be having on us and potentially as a downside as well. So... Over to you, Rachel. The first question I'd love to know is what you've actually learned by studying our digital behaviours during these regular lockdowns. So I began my most recent project back in the first lockdown, and this was in the initial phase as we all transitioned into our homes, those of us that were able to, uh, and were having to navigate and manage all of our different life domains, kind of personally, professionally, socially, from inside the home. So I worked with a group of participants um, with a huge age range from 26 up to 60 years old uh, within the UK and also in Australia. And it was uncovering their relationship with technology during this time as we had to adjust for the first time in this really um, unregulated, unknown, co-evolving space. And what I wanted to uncover was how do we manage this digital saturation and how does that affect our mental and physical health and well-being? And so one of the first key findings the key takeaways was about how to try and enable a division between leisure and labor when we are saturated with these digital devices. Um, So that saw a huge influx of screen time and having to articulate, well, what are the digital devices that are for our professional lives? What are the digital devices that are for our personal or leisure uh, time away, relaxed time away for ourselves and to have to come up with strategies for that. Um, Some other key findings were centered around social media Media sharing and what I'm calling toxic productivity. So individuals were having to, or well, they felt compelled to perform certain lifestyle identities. So having to showcase your exercise, your once daily exercise that was kind of prescribed, uh, seen as prescribed by the government at the time, as well as documenting, you know, the most productive, fun lockdown where we were learning all these new hobbies, you know, taking up a new language, becoming an artisan baker, whatever it was that we had decided we wanted to signify and signal as our productive lockdown was initially the kind of first wave of response via digital platforms about how we were managing um, in a very unknown and unusual environment. Amazing. So there's a lot there, a lot to unpack. I love the uh, the term of division of, um, was it labour and leisure? And leisure, yes. Yeah. Okay. So what kind of tips do you have for us from your study then? And I guess, I guess a very good question to ask you is, how well behaved are you? How much do you pay attention to your own research? 
So that's a great question. I'm a very reflexive researcher. I'm an ethnographer. So I work with people in their everyday lives to uncover what the challenges and and opportunities of technology is in their everyday life. And that leads me to the mental and physical health impacts. For me, I have learned so much from that. I learned from my participants and I have adopted so many different practices and strategies which have changed over the course of lockdown 1.0 to 2.0 to now 3.0. And hopefully, as you say, no more after this. And so just some of those kind of tips and things that I would like to impart and share that are working for me and they're working particularly uh, with the businesses and the individuals that I'm working with is about identify what those divisions of labor and leisure tools are. So when you are using your iPad, you're picking up what your phone, whichever devices you're engaging with, that you are intentional about what you're picking it up for rather than habitually just going onto your laptop, checking emails, then you're picking up your phone, you're scrolling, you're WhatsApping, or you might be going onto Netflix on your iPad, and then you're doing work emails, and you're having a saturation of these digital devices all at the same time. I don't think many of us now would watch Netflix without our phone in our hand, uh, or would be simultaneously, you know, on multiple screens at any one time. So my first advice is always to be intentional about which devices you're using for which purpose, and what you're getting from that, you know, what is the purpose of it for you? Where is it nourishing you? Where is it helping you? Whether it is a professional, you know, commitment, like an email that you have to respond to, uh, or whether personally you want to check in with that friend, you know, think about it before you pick up that device to ensure that when you are using it, you don't then slip into the rabbit hole of wherever it might take you. Um, So that would be kind of one of my key things is being intentional about which technology you're using, when and why. Second thing is digital detoxing. Uh, And this term kind of gets thrown around a lot. And this isn't to say throw out all of your tech, this, that, that's not going to kind of serve any of us, particularly at the moment, we can't, you know, we don't have that option. But what I mean by that is to think about times in your day when you can disengage, to have that break, to have that mental space. So whether that's going for a walk, as most of us are doing, you know, every day, that's what we do, we can only go for a walk, leave your phone at home if you can, or turn your data off so you don't scroll on Instagram whilst you're walking. Put your phone in a drawer so that you don't habitually pick it up like it's an extension of your as we as we all do without even realizing we're doing it have two or three evenings a week where you try and switch off from a digital screen and, and go analog is what I kind of call it so pick up a book rather than a kindle try out a new hobby or an interest which isn't mediated via the screen and one thing that I find really useful um, which we've spoken about briefly before is this 24 hour kind of reset which I try to do at least once a week where I don't have my phone on for 24 hours and I understand that you know not everybody can necessarily do that, but at least a, a period of time where you can fully reset. And that time away from the screen, it does give you that objective observer headspace where you can go, oh, actually, yeah, I'm, I am scrolling and I'm comparing my lifestyle on social media, or I am just kind of spending so much time on WhatsApp talking to everybody. Do I need to do this? Does that actually boost my mental health at a, at a, you know, a very traumatic and challenging time um, as we are living through at the moment? You know, in terms of our evolving relationship with mental health and technology, you know, what are some of the uh, implications that you've seen in your work about how it's got us sort of hooked? 
I think the key thing in my research that I've seen since I did my PhD research project was the convergence of the platforms that we're using and the huge kind of adoption and wide pervasive uh, nature of the consumer apps that have become available, whether that's kind of health tracking or social media apps. So we see that our life now, we are operating within, you know, these personalized data economies where everything is linked, everything speaks to one another, everything is targeted back to us. And that creates problematically echo chambers. As we well know, we're kind of all versed in that critical perspective on it. Um, so I think the, the the key thing that I've seen is just the, the shift towards using one or two applications for one or two areas of your life to manage. Maybe it's health, maybe it's fitness, maybe it's nutrition, maybe it's just a hobby, maybe it's something that sparks an interest in you to using digital platforms to manage and mediate nearly all of our, our life, particularly outside of the home in the current climate. And so how do we as individuals manage that surge? And I don't think that it is something that we shouldn't be concerned about. I think it's important to recognise that there is an element, we need to think about it in the context of balance, that we do provide our enabled sociality, um, supportive environments online, you know, the communication, the connectivity, particularly in lockdown, you know, it's incredibly you know, amazing to be able to talk to anybody. And of course, technology affords us that. And, you know, we should ignore that. But we need to recognise the impact on, I think, particularly social media influx and the ways in which the commercialisation, the increasing commercialisation of these platforms uh, to keep us on there, you know, the attention economy to keep us scrolling, the convergence with, you know, the retail industry and business to recognise that information that we receive now is peppered with advertising. And so it's we have to, as consumers and as users of digital tech and apps, have to be very conscious and critical engaged to recognize that the information we might be receiving, whether that's in a health context or anything, is going to be peppered with advertising that is targeted based upon our personalized data economies. I know that you're very passionate on this topic. And, you know, I've just recorded that I broke my fast on zero. Later, I'll go on my uh, on my Peloton and track on my whoop, you know, how intense my workout was based on my sleep. And, you know, we've had a little brief conversation already about, you know, the impact of tracking all these different digital health markers. And obviously, from my point of view, it's keeping me healthy. It's giving me information about how hard I should work out or whether I should take a rest day. And, you know, sometimes I think that's obviously very logically we should be able to assume that for ourselves. And sometimes you don't and might be surprised to see um, that it's not a good day to go harder on your exercise. I'm wondering what your uh, professional perspective is on people like me that are becoming increasingly engaged with digital trackers to tell me how I am? It's a fantastic question. And yes, it's what I'm very, very passionate about. And it, throughout all of the research that I've been doing, and I've been looking at health tracking for almost 10 years now throughout my master's and PhD research and since then. And the overwhelming advice or the overwhelming finding for me is always to trust the instinct of your body over what the device is nudging or the design is nudging you to do. Because fundamentally, data, quantifiable data, cannot necessarily capture the entirety of our human body and form. And a lot of the applications can work to a degree as a one-size-fits-all model of health or fitness tracking. So we need to recognise that when we see that data... That provides a sense of self-worth and gratification and acknowledgement of that exercise, um, which is so supportive and motivating. And that social fitness element, I think, particularly at the moment, can be really rewarding. And that's not always necessarily a bad thing. 
But when it slips into what I would argue is coercive or potentially quite persuasive um, from the design nudges, from the notifications that you might get from your device, is when you are responding to that, when you are embodying what the device is saying by going out and doing exercise that you at that moment in time don't physically fill up for doing for whatever reason. And that's where the problematic shift comes into play, where you are being nudged by a design and there's a quite a mechanical response for us to do something based upon acquisition of data and that our self-worth becomes tied to that data that we acquire, whether that's on a graph that's, you know, our run times are decreasing or we are, you know, losing weight or whatever it is, seeing that accumulation of data within your tracker is hugely kind of congratulating to oneself and it provides a huge sense of self-worth. But ultimately, we must remember that it is just a device and that that sense of self-worth and gratification has to come from your human instinct and from trusting how your body feels. And as this is the Brain Care podcast, it'd be remiss of me not to ask, what does the term brain care mean to you? Like, How do you take care of your own brain and your own life? What are some top tips from you? So for me, it's all about a holistic approach to health. So for me, when I think about my brain care and looking after my mental health, it's so intrinsically tied to my physical health. I don't see them as separate. I see them as informing of one another and that I have to enable physical rest and mental rest and those work in tandem and they are in cohesion together. That's a kind of synthesis and a hybrid space for me, which uh, informs one another. And I, I don't see kind of my brain care as any any different to my physical care. To me, it's a very holistic approach and one informs one another. And you have to look after both to ensure you're kind of holistically feeling mentally and physically well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at your heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how healthy your brain is, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain health to get your free score from one to 100. See you next time.